0: Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services Sundays at 9 a.m., 10 30 a.m., and 6 30 p.m. Merry Christmas. Amen. One thing about Christmas is it brings up all kinds of memories. It brings up all kinds of joys. It changes us. It should change us as we encounter the most incredible story in the history of the world. God becoming man. And as God became a man in the process, there's these encounters that take place. And we're gonna be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, and we're gonna look at this Christmas encounter. This, it's somewhat of a, of a distant story. It's not the most familiar story among us, but it's a story that has profound ramifications if we understand this story. And it's a story of an old man named Simeon. And how Simeon has an encounter with Joseph and Mary, and in this encounter, God begins to give us this incredible light or perspective, if you will, on what Christmas is all about. And as all of us, if you're listening or you're here, as all of us joins in in this story, it's my prayer that we all have this kind of encounter with God. The same kind of encounter that was anticipated. And this encounter, That is recorded for you and for me so that the encounter that Simeon had here, you and I can also have to a large degree. And so in this passage of scripture, let's just read it together. And we're not going to stand while we read this. We'll just we'll just read this. And it starts in uh, Luke chapter two. And I want to start back with verse 21. And it's the circumstances concerning this encounter. It says, when the eighth days, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived. And that remember in the dream with Mary. And when the days of purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. And here it is, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer sacrifices according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. And here it is, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25, here's the encounter. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary according to the law. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and here's what he said. Here's a prayer. Here's a Christmas prayer. He says this, Now, Master... You can dismiss your slave in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles are just non Jewish people. And glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed as a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed may god bless the study of his word so let's look at the occasion of the encounter jesus is brought up to jerusalem even though they're in bethlehem and even though bethlehem may be a little bit higher in elevation to jerusalem we all know that everybody goes up to jerusalem that's just a saying probably five miles away and in the journey they are very much aware of the custom of the law they are going up to have their firstborn child circumcised now why well because god said so Do you need anything else? God said, do it. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 makes it very clear. I want your firstborn. I want you to dedicate your whole household to me, and we're going to symbolize this through this act, and it's an act of dedication, and that's what God wants. He wants our lives dedicated to Him. In fact, it's so serious that you know the 10th plague in the book of Exodus was the killing of the firstborn. It's not by coincidence that judgment fell upon the firstborn because it was God telling Israel, you are going to be dedicated to me. And that symbol will be the offering up of the firstborn with the sacrifice in this type of manner. And if you don't do it, it's it's not good. So all over Israel, everybody knew, look, firstborn, that's a symbol for the whole family that we are dedicated to you. God said it. We also know this in this occasion, they are uh, of low means. How do we know that? Because instead of bringing a lamb like the average family would in this time of dedication as a form of sacrifice, they brought in the minimum, which was another sign of their that they were just lowly. They just didn't have a lot. They'd have a lot to offer. And so they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That was the law. What's interesting as you look at this occasion, he refers to the law of Moses as Luke is writing this. He refers to the law of Moses three times according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. It's to emphasize the fact that they were obedient before the Lord, that they had a great uh, respect and awe for the law of God. And also, Jesus was righteous in every point, tempted in every way, but yet holy and righteous and never came, uh, fell into sin. He was uh, passively obedient as well as actively obedient. He met all the laws, which makes him the perfect savior spotless, perfect to be the ultimate sacrifice lamb in this, that this passage is portraying. So here, he, he, they obeyed all the rules. They obeyed all the laws. And there they are. You know, it's a, it's a big day. I mean, their firstborn son, they've seen angels, they've had visions, and now they're going up to the temple, the dwelling place of God. This is the first time they've been to the temple with their child. And here they are presenting him before the Lord. And then something happens. Something miraculous happens. You have this man named Simeon. Was he a prophet? I don't know, but he did prophesy. I don't know if it's who he was or what he did, but he did do it. And this is the man, an incredible guy. He's an old guy. Amen. He's old. We don't know exactly how old. We know that in the next character, Anna, she was really old. She was 80 plus years old. And, she, and some say she was even older than that. And so she was, she was representing and he is representing a time of the past moving into the future. So Simeon had this anticipation of this encounter. He was waiting for this day. He was looking for this day. It wasn't something he was just over, you know, drinking coffee with all the other guys, the other prophets. And they're just talking about comparing Bible verses and look at how good. No, he was anticipating there's going to be a day. There's going to be a time for the consolation of Israel. And that's exactly what he says here. It is, it is a fascinating anticipation. Now, man, I love Christmas. I think it's just great. Uh, I used to anticipate what was under the tree, right? And it was just that, that advent, that waiting for something to happen. You know, you, you, you have these Christmas lists. And if you believe in the almighty SC, I don't know, I don't want to get into that. Then you, you write letters and you do all this. And, and, but, but even if you don't, you know that parents might be taking care of this. Man, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble up here by talking about this. But either way, there's an anticipation. There's a waiting. And, and it's good. It's, sometimes when you do just simple exchange of gifts, it's, it's symbolic of something powerful that you don't know, but you're hoping that will happen. And it all stems around this idea of guys like Simeon who were waiting for this consolation to take place. And it was magnificent. It was beautiful. And every day he had this anticipation. And here it says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout man. You see Luke writing this in Acts and in the Gospel of Luke. Oftentimes, and if you assume he wrote Hebrews, that also in Hebrews, he will use this, this pair. He loves pairs. Righteous and devout. Good man and honest. He used those two adjectives back and back, back and forth, describing an individual. And here he says it again. Righteous and devout. Looking forward to Israel's consolation. He was looking for the consolation of Israel and confident he would see it here's something to know. The other guys weren't looking for this. They weren't. In fact, when they heard news that it was happening, they're like, no, that couldn't be happening. They had no hope. They had no anticipation. Simeon did. He was unique. But why did Simeon have this? And these other prophets, these other priests, these other scribes, they did not. Why? Why was it that way? Well, um, let's just dig in a little further and find that. You know, you ever wonder that? That's right, brother. There's some people who have a lot of anticipation for the Lord. There's some people that will drive down the road and they'll be passing all these telephone poles and they'll just say, man, look at all those crosses. And the other guy says, those are crosses or telephone poles. No, they're just crosses. That's what I see. Do you know that to the crude, all things are crude, but to the pure, all things are pure? You know what I'm saying? Two people can see the same thing. And then one person goes away complaining about it. And the other person man, this is an opportunity for God to move in a powerful way. Just wait, I'm anticipating something amazing about to happen. Now, why is it that Simeon had this incredible spiritual optimism of waiting not just for a blessing, not just to hear from the Lord, but the consolation of Israel waiting for the Messiah to come in his presence? And he had this anticipation waiting for it. Why? Well, let's dig in here and let's look and see what kind of a guy he was. It led to this. Here he was, he's looking for the consolation of Israel. Here it is. And the Holy Spirit was on him. That statement, the Holy Spirit on him, is a pre-Pentecostal description of what the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit related to man. And we know in in the Old Testament or before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would be upon people in power or upon people in vision or upon people in unction or upon people in encouragement. But we don't really see, except right moving into the Gospels, do we see signs of the Holy Spirit coming inside somebody. And so this, this is pretty interesting, the way this is written. How many of you know the Bible is exact, precise, mathematically? Every jot, every tittle, every verb, every noun is described exactly the way God means it, fitting like a hand in a glove, in perfection, in the way it's from Genesis to Revelation. And right here it says the Holy Spirit was upon this man. And the Holy Spirit began to lead this man. In fact, the Holy Spirit's mentioned three times in this little text. He says that the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. There it is again, that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And then verse 27, guided by the Holy Spirit. So here's a guy that loved God so much that God just said, man, I'm going to put my spirit on you. And there is no doubt by the way that he's moving in this encounter that he knows and he has been absorbing the scripture. And he is just speaking Scripture, even in his prayer. We'll look at it in a second. He's just voicing back to God what God has already said, and it's planted in his heart. So why does he have this anticipation and the other guys didn't? It's because he walked with God. And God blessed him with his presence. I know a young man that... He was in high school, and he was rebellious, and he was moving the wrong direction and going the wrong way. And then he came to an encounter with God. He, he repented of sins, and he began to pursue the Lord, and God blessed him with his presence. I don't know any other way to describe it. It's just a, just a kid, a guy, a young man, uh, who walks in the presence of God. Love him to death. How about you? Can, do you sense the presence of God? Do you have an anticipatory attitude of where you're anticipating the day that God is gonna move? I don't care how bad you think things are, I don't care how good you think things are, how comfortable you might be or how uncomfortable you might be, are you anticipating an encounter with God? Because God is, listen, God desires to move in every church, in every home, in every life, in every occupation. God desires to move for His presence to be made known. And do we anticipate it the way God does? Maybe we should camp here for a second. It's called hope. Because God is all full of hope. Remember last week, we were talking about the incredible hopefulness of God and His incredible optimistic view of your life. And whether you get slain or torn asunder by, by animals doesn't matter. We're talking about fulfilling the very will of God. And that is what we live for. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But I mean, just being hopeful that God is going to do his work. You know what? If, if, I didn't, if I didn't anticipate God's anticipation and God's willingness to move, then, man, I'd just pack up and go home. Because I don't want to do anything without God. And, and, and we can do nothing without him, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? He says, I can, He said you can do a few things without. No, he says you could do nothing. Do you know what nothing is? No, you don't, because it's nothing. I don't know what it is. It doesn't exist. And so we think we can do something and we make all kinds of some things. But God says that's nothing. Doesn't mean it. So what we want, we want this holy anticipation of the Lord moving in our life. And I, look, man, why did he have this? Because he was in the word. How do we know that? Because he voices it back in prayer to God. It saturated his life. You want to grow in faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing of what the word of God, man, when I'm saturated with the word and I just read lots of sections, man, next thing you know, I'm a pretty hopeful guy. I I start thinking, you know what? God did it there. He's done it in here. Maybe he's going to do it out here. You know, I start, I start thinking the way Jesus thought and the way Simeon thought and all the godly women and all the godly men, they start just walking under the influence of the spirit. And so maybe that's why when I'm not anticipating the Lord working or I'm not hopeful, then maybe it's because I'm under the influence of Mac or or the world or the spirit of whatever. But I'm telling you, listen, every one of us, this is for me, this is for you. As we saturate ourselves in the word of God, in the presence of God, then all of a sudden we get a kick in our spiritual step. And we anticipate God doing some really, really good things. Now, think about this for a moment. This is contrary. The word of God moving in him and and the spirit moving upon him and leading him is contrary to what he has seen. He's an older guy, right? He'd been around a while. Do you know what he's seen as a boy, as a young man? And he saw the conquering of Jerusalem. He was there when Pompey moved in from the north, starting in Syria, and says, you know what, I think we'll move down into Jerusalem, and I think we'll sack the temple. And he goes in, he moves into the north side of the temple, because he couldn't get to it through the other sides, and he moves in, and he literally, this is interesting, historically, he walks into the Holy of Holies. No Gentile had ever been there. Do you realize that? Not even common Jews could go in there. Only high priests could go in there. And so Pompey walks in there, and is expecting to see statues of gods, right? Because that's the whole temple of God. And he didn't find any images, right? You don't wanna break the first and second commandment. So they didn't have any images. And he's like, wow, these people had a temple and they had no picture of their God or had no, I've never seen anything like that. And he looks and he sees, it, it's really simple. He had a menorah, you know, the candlesticks, they had the showbreads, you know, they had the oil. And he looks and he sees the box and he goes, this is simple and he doesn't touch anything And he walks out and he goes, you know what? I will pay for you to purify that. You guys go ahead and do what you want. It's under my authority, but go ahead and do what you want. And it it was a slap in the face. It wasn't devastating completely, but it was a slap in the face. And so here Simeon is. He saw this. He saw Jerusalem get sacked again. He knew about the Assyrians. He knew about the Babylonians. He knew how God said, look, I'm giving you up. I'm turning you over to the Babylonians and the Assyrians and I'm giving you up. And then Simeon as a boy or younger man anyway, he's like, here it is again. We are under the judgment of God. And yet he still didn't give up. So even when you wouldn't expect it, contrary to what you see, the word of God and the spirit of God led him to see something else that was incredibly powerful. You know what I'm talking about this morning? I'm talking about you and me having the same kind of Christmas Encounter with the Lord God Almighty in the midst of problems in the midst of trials to where the Lord Jesus shows up. He says, listen, I'm your consolation. Anybody kind of taken back by what's happened to us politically these days? Craziness in spite of that, in spite of that, maybe a bad diagnosis, maybe relationships that are torn asunder or about to maybe just grief, maybe just sadness, maybe just loneliness, listen to me, have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, I'm talking to you and me, I'm talking to us, us. Listen, hopefulness is the essence of the consolation of Israel and what God is doing for us. And if there's no hope of God moving, then let's just pack up and go home. But there is hope and watch what happens. This is now that's introduction let's go to the sermon when I say that you know it's gonna be a long. no it's not we'll, we'll wrap up here pretty quickly so he's moving along and he's so hopeful <clears throat> and then he says this verse 29 he takes the baby he takes Jesus it says he took him up in his arms <clears throat> can you imagine the man that's seen what he has seen and waited and waited and waited and being saturated with the Word of God and being moved by the Spirit. And then he holds Jesus in his hands. Just probably shaking. Probably weeping. Maybe even dancing. And being a Baptist. <laughs> so he was overcome. And he holds him up and look what he says. Now, master, the very first word in that prayer is now. It's now. It's like at this moment, God Almighty, at this point in time, now, my master, you do what you say you are going to do. And he calls out, you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. His word was, you're going to see him before you die. He saw him and said, I'm ready to go home. I'm already. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus, when you meet him, he gives you an incredible satisfaction to where you are eternally secure. And you're like, you know, whether I live or die, it's up to the Lord. It, 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 to die is gain, to live is Christ, is what he's saying. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all people's A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel here's what he's saying here Lord man uh, I, I whether I live or die it's up to you I'm good right now I just want to go home I have completed everything you have asked me to do I'm done I'm finished and then he says this right here I have seen your salvation and in Opposition in in the same context he verse 23 a light for revelation to the Gentiles so your salvation is the same thing as saying light for the Gentiles Jesus says this several times he talks about being the light of the earth and the light is the blessing and when we walk in the light we know that it in John eight twelve says then Jesus spoke to them as again he says I am the light of the world Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness at all, but will have the light. That's what the Lord is all about. He says in 1246, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. It's, it's a picture of salvation. It is an incredible revelation of who he is, and it is for the Gentiles. What's powerful about that is right at the temple, right at a, at a Jewish ceremony and obeying the Jewish law by a Jewish prophet, he's saying this lie is going to go to the Gentiles. Now, what's so radical about that? We know that in uh, Acts chapter 10, when Peter is going to Cornelius, Peter makes this statement. He says, look, why are you calling me to see you? We all know that Jews will have nothing to do with Gentiles at all. I mean, talk about prejudice. talk about segregation. It was strong. And right here in this prophecy, this prophet is saying it is a light to the Jews and a light to the Gentiles. It's for everybody. And we're bringing in a whole new order. It is <laughs> love. God is the one through Jesus Christ who breaks down the dividing wall, who breaks down the barriers. And all men, all kinds of people, all kinds of perspectives. All kinds of paths, all kinds of hurts can come unto Jesus. And that's what is needed. Now look at verse 33. Let's look at the encounter with the parents. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said. Now, it's just anytime God speaks in a revelatory form, you're going to be amazed. We even sang a song. I stand amazed. And we should stand at that song. I stand amazed of the glory of God. And, and we're just amazed at god um i was listening to a song early this morning and it was just talking about by his stripes we were healed and by his wounds he has healed us and just being amazed of the death burial and resurrection of jesus now beloved listen um i hope i hope this never occurs to you that you're tired of hearing the gospel You're tired of hearing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't let your your mind go there. Don't don't let your heart ponder that thought that, you know, I'm tired of hearing it. Do you realize for all eternity when we get to heaven, do you know what the. If you're tired of hearing about the blood of Jesus, you're going to hate heaven. You're not going to like it if you make it. (laughs) You're not going to like it because we're going to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb who is and was and is to come, who was slain before the foundation of the world. And he will show you the scars in his hands and we will proclaim, if I ever get bored of talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's because I don't even begin to grasp it right? I don't even, we should get to the point where, look, I have no more words. I've exhausted all my words about his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's getting into that right now, his death. And he says, the parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, blessed both of them. And then he told his mother, he's talking to Joseph and Mary. And then he looks over at his mom and he says these words probably because what he's about to say has a little bit of sting to it, right? And Joseph won't be there for that sting. And so he's preparing her heart. Indeed, this child, look at this. He turns to Mary and he says, indeed, this child, probably still holding it. This child is destined to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel and to be a sign that we will be opposed. Wow. So he blesses them. I mean, probably words, great words. And then he makes this comment. But still, he will cause the rise and fall of many. Now, those that humble themselves will rise. Those that exalt themselves will will fall, right? We know that concept. But basically what he's saying here is your boy is going to be the one that is the most loved and the most hated at the same time. And isn't that true today? Jesus is the most loved and the most hated all at once came across somebody this week, mentioned the name of Jesus, and just began to spew vile out of their mouth in the most vile way when you mention Jesus, mention His name. A lot of of spiritual activity going on at the moment. But as I'm sitting there saying, we're talking about the love of Jesus, how much He loves this individual, and this person is reviling and filth and disgust at the very name of Jesus. You know what's interesting about this? It says that <clears throat> there are those that are either madly in love with Jesus or madly mad at Jesus, and, but he doesn't mention anybody in between. Isn't that interesting? He didn't really mention the lukewarm or the indifferent. He didn't mention those that go, yeah, Christmas, I know it's about Jesus, the little baby Jesus in the manger, but I don't really have a context for that. I don't really know what that's... He didn't mention those people. I find that interesting he said the rise and then the fall and I think it's because of two things number one listen if, if, if there are those that just flippantly talk about Jesus particularly in the season that we're in it's because they just don't know him they don't know him you may be here and you may say you know what I'm not I'm not I don't want to be too radical about Jesus I don't I don't want to be one of those fanatics I don't mind being a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, but I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. I'd just rather be milquetoast wimpy about Jesus and, and, and go bananas about basketball or football or, or money because that's really where it's at. But yeah, this Jesus thing, I don't want anybody to think I'm a little too over the top. You, just, you don't know my Jesus. You know what I'm saying? If he were to walk through those back doors you would drop to your face. You would be undone. Say, Brother Mac, that's a bold statement. No, let's show this. Let's just, you read it for yourself. Here's what he says. He'll be, and a sword will pierce your own soul. We'll get to that in a second. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's not a good thing. That's a, anytime though, that, that thought's being revealed, that's a pejorative statement. That is a, that that's a gavel, <laughs> condemned. If he were to walk through that back door right now, in a physical way, uh, I'd be alongside you. We'd be on our face because there ain't nobody in this room better than anybody else, right? We'd be on our face before the holy God. Our thoughts. We would know immediately that He knows all of our thoughts. Immediately. I say, Brother Mac, why do, you, why do you want to take me there in my mind? Well, I want to take you there because the Bible takes you there. But we want to do this the way the Bible, the reason the Bible does is so that you go there before you go there. Does that make sense? That day's coming. Just like Simeon anticipated the coming of the physical baby, Jesus, and he had him in his arms just shaking and probably lifting him up and giving glory to God and saying, now, God, take me home. I've seen it all. We too should anticipate the day that he comes back again. That's what Advent is all about. He came the first time, and I promise you he's coming back the second time in the very same way, so let's just go there for a second. What's it going to be like? I don't know completely. I don't. But just a little we do know from Scripture. Let's just stick with this one phrase. My thoughts are going to be made known to God, the ones I haven't forgiven, the the sin that I contemplate, the selfishness that I have, the hatred that I dwell in, the pride and the arrogance and all these things that I'm guilty of. And I imagine you might be guilty of a few things, too. That we stand before God, I know Him being holy and precious and powerful and glorious. It's exposed. You ever get caught in doing something wrong? I have. (laughs) I'm sure you have too. But then if your dad found out or your mom found out or your spouse finds out, and then that incredible, oh, I'm so ashamed and undone that doesn't even compare to the preciousness of God and his love and his grace and his mercy. And yet I've still chosen to selfishness or whatever it is. Listen, I'm telling you, let's go there for a second. Being on our face before God, it causes to get really, really serious about now. That day makes this day so much different. And man, we bask in that. And here's what, here's what he says. Let's go back a phrase. And he talks about this sword that's going to pierce your own heart. And I can only imagine that what it was like for, Jesus, for, for Mary to stand there and watch her own son, this very one right here, crucified. <clears throat> Simeon not only is prophesying who Jesus is, he's basically prophesying what's going to happen in a few years. He's going to die on a cross under the wrath of the Father so that we won't have to. This is the Christmas encounter, brothers and sisters. Listen, this is our joy. This is our life. And it's, it's not. I mean, I know many times Jesus is presented like this, and this isn't the case. That he is presented that, man, he'll just make your life a lot better, as if it's like spreading butter on your bread. I mean, I love bread and butter, I like it. With a bowl of beans, a little bit of onion. Fantastic, right? But Jesus is in the butter going on your bread. He is the bread of life, right? He is the substance. It's not that we just add a little bit of Jesus to give us a little spice in our life. Or if I add a little Jesus to my life, then now he'll fix my Chevy and things and I'll have a better job and I'll have a better spouse and kids. I mean, all those things are true. Great things happen, but don't be mistaken. He's not just something you add to your life. He is your life. Why? Because he's so great. He's so incredible. He loves you so much. He died on the cross to take away my sins, to take away your sins. And he rose from the dead. All these tombs came open that moment, right? Dead people started walking around. Why? It's like, you ever been in a boat and the current goes by, just sucks up some more people? I think that's probably what happened. He came out of the grave and the vacuum just pulled a bunch of other people out of the grave. And that's just just how powerful it is. There may be a little more theology in that than what I'm saying. But, however, (laughs) however... What do you anticipate? Man, I hope you have a great Christmas season. And I hope, man, he fulfills uh, all the relational uh, desires that you have and maybe even presents, and maybe even feelings and all. I I like those things too. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have an encounter like this with Jesus, you're missing it. Would you give your heart to Christ? Would you? Let me ask you this question question if you're here today and you don't know where you'll spend eternity let me just ask you this what could keep you from giving your life to christ something on earth and give that up to gain something for eternity thank you again for listening to audio from pastor mac roller at glomitas baptist church for previous sermons and more information please check out our website at gmbc.org